Rookie Fever by Britt Sanders Sideman The Fantasy Affair What's happening, my people? The Fantasy Affairians, how is your day? Let's get started. Okay, so the podcast is going to be having a much different look and feel. I'm going to break down what we're doing every segment, but this is going to be the template moving forward. And folks, don't want to spoil it, but we got a show sheet running. <laughs> All right, so on the fever, on the rookie fever forecast, I'm going to start out with first with the rookie background check. We're going to go deep into a rookie. We're going to talk about their college career. We're going to talk about their season. We're going to talk about their favorite food. Well, not really, but if I know it, I'm going to share it. The rookie background check for this week is going to be the one and the only Justin fucking Jefferson. Oh my goodness. People were worried about how he'd fit on that Vikings offense. They were unsure if he could play out wide. They just had so many question marks. They didn't know if the LSU LSU offense was because of Joe Brady, if it was because of Joe Burrow, if it was because of Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. Perhaps it's perhaps it's Ogeron, the coach. Anyways, Justin Jefferson just showed you that this man is for real. He absolutely kicked down the door to the birthday party, had his own breakout party with a line of nine targets, seven receptions, 175 yards, and the touchdown that was 71 yards in which he had to shake and bake a couple receivers. That's what you want to see from your wide receivers, folks. You don't want a wide receiver that catches the ball and falls down. You want someone who has the ability to make a little magic after the catch, and Justin Jefferson has exactly that. He has a speed score in the 82nd percentile of 103.9. A speed score factors in the player's weight and the height to get a more measured speed on a, a more measured speed in an average playing field for every player to better understand the speed they bring to the game. He has a burst of a 79th percentile. Guys, this man's quick. This man is fast. He is bursty. He is agile. He is going to be a problem in the NFL. My predictive measures of success model had Justin Jefferson ranked number three just behind Jalen Rager and C.D. Lamb. He is a problem remember this all right moving to college he had a target share in that lsu offense of 28.19 percent he shared that offense with jamar chase a future first rounder terrence marshall a future day two pick clyde edwards hilaire a future first or a first rounder joe burrow a first rounder the fact he was able to carve out any significant portion of that offense is extraordinarily important. I don't care that they threw for 6,000 yards that season. He made it known that he deserves targets, and he got his. He put up 1,500 yards his junior year in college. That's incredible and insane. He had a breakout age of 19.6. A breakout age is the age the player first is able to dominate at least 20% of the team's market share the earlier you are the more likely you are to, to bring success sooner to the nfl game 19.6 is not the earliest the earliest was actually recorded was this year was brian edwards which i believe was 17.9 
We're looking for 18-year-old breakouts. We're looking for 19-year-old breakouts. They're the most predictive to help give us better production and Justin Jefferson meets that threshold yet again. Playerprofiler.com has a player comp on every single prospect that comes in and every single player. If you needed any more ammunition, any more fuel to this Justin Jefferson love of fire, his player comparison was Reggie Wayne. Guys, guys, guys. You guys getting a theme here yet? Holy shit. Now, in week three, Justin Jefferson thought a saw a 5.4 yards of separation per target. He also saw 51.84% of air yards. Now, I'm not expecting that to be the new normal scene. This is on the season average was 23.19%. But if he's able to get 20% of those team air yards with his efficiency, oh my goodness, in college, I can't believe I forgot to tell you this. This is one of my favorite stats about Justin Jefferson. In college, his yards per team pass attempt was 1.92. That means every time Joe Burrow passed the ball, Justin Jefferson was getting 1.92 yards on his college career. That is insane. A 1.5 or better is what we really want to say. Above two is absolutely abnormal, out of this world, banana land. Justin Jefferson had a 1.92. Wow. He is efficient, and he just showed how efficient he is. He has an 80% catch rate on the season. He has a 3.7 positive yards above yards after the catch regression, above expectation, excuse me. So Justin Jefferson not only is efficient with his targets, but he is making opportunities. He is a player we saw in LSU. He is a player we are going to continue to see for many years to come. You're not going to buy him this week. It's not going to happen. Not after this. You're going to need at least another, a couple other come back to earth moments from Justin Jefferson for the owner to even think about it. And you're going to have to offer a Robert Woods type player to get him. It's he's just too hot right now. So you missed your chance. The window is closed. It may open back up, but I want to monitor him and looking to get him on my team any way I can. All right, we're moving along. We're going into the rising category. Every week, I'm going to talk about some players that I think are rising in the ranks. The players that are looking to me like they could be making impacts this year and beyond. I'm going to do my best to try and keep a dynasty and a seasonal approach here. I'm going to make make sure that I'm being very specific in which approach I'm talking about, okay? Because it's really easy to conflate the two. First off, T. Higgins. Monday morning started, Sunday morning started with getting news that John Ross was a healthy scratch and T. Higgins would be taking his spot on the team. The crowd went wild. T. Higgins was the first receiver drafted off the board, off the first receiver drafted in the second round. T. Higgins had a pretty good career, real actually a really good career in with the uh, Clemson Tigers. He did not test well, but Testing well and being athletic is not the end-all be-all for wide receivers. It definitely helps, but it is not a death stroke. Now, Justin Jefferson put up a really nice line week three. He had nine targets. He had five catches for 40 yards and two touchdowns. He also had a 15-yard reception that was wiped off the board because he stepped out after Joe Burrow pulled some 
Houdini-esque stuff, Russell Wilson looking tight moves and was able to complete a third and nine. It was a really impressive play, folks. I'm sure someone clipped it somewhere. You got to find it. It was really fun to watch. T. Higgins has had a rising snap share since week one. He has now seen the opportunity and he is making impact plays. T. Higgins is definitely going to be someone you want to start looking into, someone you want to start rostering in seasonal leagues. I'm not 100% sure where we're going with this. As long as Tyler Boyd and A.J. Green are there, his likelihood of seeing a large target share is not super high. That being said, A.J. Green is not the bill of health, and quite frankly, he's looking a little dusty. He had, did, however, leave some some yards on the field, a lot of short under short stuff, a lot of underneath stuff, crossing routes that he was unable to convert on this season. He's only had a 53.33% catch rate. That's not what we want to see, folks. That is not what we want to see. I'm hoping he's going to be able to bring it back up, but a catch rate like that's not something we're going to be loving to see. However, he has been able to get 19.35% of the season on the season for the team's air yards. That's a little better. Getting close to that 20% mark. Those air yards are important. An air yard is the amount of yards that every, the total yards that your targets compile to. So for instance, T Higgins had nine targets. He was able to convert 40 of them. His air yards was not 40. His air yards were something different like that. I believe it was around 85, 90, right? So that means he left about 50 yards on the field, either by not catching the ball or by Joe Burrow being inaccurate, okay? But it's important that he's seen that extra yardage down the way. For this week, he had a 41 point, he had a 55.56 catch percent catch rate, which is what you want to see. He had a team air yards of 41%. That's what you want to see. He was a little below expectation for his yards after catch with .01, but it's nothing too big. T. Higgins was never someone we came expecting to burn the doors off the barn. T. Higgins is rising, y'all. He's coming up. This is a big game. You still may be able to get him because it seems like after the Justin Jefferson breakout and a couple crazy games, no one was really paying attention. I definitely give him a look because this is just the first in the opportunity. He supplanted Ross and it only took two weeks. He's coming and he's coming quickly. And Zach Taylor's absolutely going to be running a lot of those three wide receiver sets. So T. Higgins is going to see a very large snap share. Up next is Gabriel Davis. We talked about him a little earlier last week. He was seeing a little work week one. He saw some pretty high amount of snaps actually week two he didn't really perform a whole lot but this week he was doing better he's doing better he's getting involved in the offense he went four catches for four four receptions off four targets for three or for 81 yards he was number three in targets now he didn't meet any of the next gen stats threshold threshold because you need at least five targets to meet that. But Gabriel Davis is making plays and he is cheap. All right. Now I know that there's Josh Allen, Josh Allen playing the quarterback, and we have concerns about his accuracy. And I know they have Diggs, and I know they have Brown, even though John Brown, I believe, just went out with an injury week three. Gabriel Davis is someone that would be easy to throw a third at throw a third and a fifth, a third and a fourth, two thirds, and just see what happens. Because if this offense is getting him this involved this early, 
guys he may be someone you really want to start stashing and looking into especially for dynasty seasonal wise he's very under he's not really relevant but for dynasty he's absolutely someone you want to try to acquire um the bills defense is going or the bills offense is definitely going to be seeing a way rougher schedule the second half of the season so a lot of these bills thoughts and analysis is going to change it's important to take this a long three-year scope not a one-year scope right that's what we're looking to do here after three years as chris on the staff likes to say it's just like throwing shit at the wall and seeing what sticks so gabriel davis getting this involved in the offense is something you really like to see he's definitely someone i'm keeping an eye on he's absolutely rising jerry judy the team's new number one for the Denver Broncos. He had nine targets off of five catches for 55 yards. He held he held 29.93% of the team's air yards, which is a slight increase from the season's team air yards of 26.36%. So it's nice to see him get that extra little bump in air yards with Cortland Sutton out. He's seen a catch rate of 54.17%. This week, he saw a catch rate of 55.56%, so a little increase. Again, we want to see that up. We want at least a 60% threshold, if not more. I really want a 65 to 70% for my wide receivers, but I'm not going to make too big of a fuss about it. We're three weeks into the season. These guys are new. They have had hardly any orientation. They're still shaking off the cobwebs, getting used to what's going on. Now, Jerry Judy has been able to create a little more yards after the catch than expected, just 0.1, but it's nice to see on the season he's 0.6 above expectation on yards after the catch, so it's nice to see him be a little shifty with the ball. I like that with my wide receivers. It makes me quite happy. Now, I wasn't going to add Hamler in here, but I just, KJ Hamler, someone that has, is thoroughly arousing me and quite frankly, making me extraordinarily curious and wonderful to watch. So Handler had five targets. He had three catches for 30 yards. Now he was 0.5 below expectation for yards after the catch. He had a 50% catch rate on the season. However, week three, he had a 60% catch rate, which is wonderful. His team percent of air yards is 26.12 for week three on the season. It's 17.32%. So what I'm seeing there is that KJ Handler is going to get way more involved than he previously was. Granted, this is only the second game for KJ Handler, so that's really not much to go off of. But if KJ Handler is starting to see 20 to 25% of that target share, assume that they're able to find a competent quarterback to throw the goddamn ball. KJ Handler could be someone that's really fun to play, and he could become fantasy, or he could be, become seasonally relevant. All right, last riser is Brandon Ayuk. Another quiet game. I was actually quite surprised when I saw his box score. I I couldn't watch that 49ers game. It was just it was horrible watching like peewee football. But Brandon Ayuk did really well. He had eight catches. He had five catches off of eight targets for 70 yards. He had three rushes for 31 yards and a touchdown. He had a 19-yard rushing rushing touchdown. He's getting the looks that Debo's getting, right? This is what we were hoping from Ayuk when he came out and when Debo was injured and was placed on the IR. It just came out this day that Debo's looking to be looking like he's going to be returned around week five. So that's going to give Ayuk one more week to help solidify his role in this offense. And then him and Debo are going to have to fight it out and figure it out what's going to be happening. He had 
a 13.36 team air yards. He had a catch rate of 63.64%, and he was 0.1 above expectation on yards after the catch. This was the first game for Ayuk, I believe. This was his first game. So, you know, having that percentage of air yards is not crazy. I think what we're seeing here is we're just going to have to kind of see him, watch him go. All right, with George Kittle out, it's hard to tell. With Deep out, it's hard to tell. But Ayuk is definitely showing that line and the fact that he got three carries, the fact that he had a catch percent catch rate over 60. It's nice to see. It's good to see. It's kind of what you were hoping to see from Brendan Ayuk. He came out of community college. He played two years at ASU. He was behind Nikhil Harry. He didn't really shine until Nikhil Harry left. There were a lot of question marks. So the fact he was able to come onto the field and make an immediate day one impact, yes, it's a testament to Kyle Shanahan and his ability to make things happen for his playmakers. But it only happens if his playmakers are good and quality. And it seems like Brandon Ayuk may very well be that. Okay, now... If I could play the taps, I'd play the taps. Here are is our falling segments. We're going to talk about some players that are not doing well as expected or players that just simply are failing to perform to the expectations that we have placed on them, which for the record is really dumb. Don't place expectations on players. All right, first off is Cam Akers. Now, this one really hits me deep in, deep in my heart. I'm a very big Cam Akers guy. I think he had a bum rap at FSU. I was really excited for him to see what he could do with the Los Angeles Rams. However, he had sep- uh, separated cartilage week two, which opened the door for Darrell Henderson and Malcolm Brown. Now, the big worry this game was is if Henderson was going to get the opportunity to show the coaching staff what he's able to do and if he can command a sizable role of the running offense. And Darrell Henderson did just that. I think he had 20 carries for over 100 yards and a touchdown. The guy looked good. You know, he did not look good at all week, year one, but year two, he was looking really good. He was looking like the the, the Memphis Tiger that he was billed to be. I think what we're going to see here now is we're going to see a little thunder and lightning with Akers and Henderson. You know, I think you have three different possibilities for this long term, but I think for this season, we're going to see a 50-50 split, 65-40, 55-45 split. Uh, Henderson has made his way known unless Henderson suddenly starts producing, gets injured again, something like that. Then Anchors is looking like a full-time belt or a role or running back by committee going into this season and potentially future, which I want to talk about for the following segment. We're going to kind of give three scenarios. We're going to give the best case scenario, the worst case scenario, and the most likely scenario. So best case scenario, obviously, is that Cam Akers is able to absolutely shine on this offense, is able to relegate Henderson to a change of pace back into a, a maybe a two-minute drill back, someone who just comes in, does a catching, tries to make some big shot plays happen. I think Akers has that potential, but it just does not look likely to happen right now, especially if Sean McVay is so gung-ho on having a running back by committee. Now, the worst-case scenario is that Akers just really struggles all year. 
we see a lot of week one acres and not a lot of week two acres. We see him just not being patient, not making cuts, not changing pace, not trying to be elusive. I think if that's the case, we're going to see acres also welcome in Brown to the committee in which relegates and makes all three of those running backs absolutely unworthy to own. I think for this year, that's a possibility. I'm hoping it's not going to be real. I'm hoping it's not a thing. It's something that needs to be aware of. I think long-term, it's not likely, though, obviously, because it's the least likely of the projections to happen. Now, the most likely projection, in my opinion, is we're probably going to see a little Austin Eckler, Joshua Kelly-type action with these players, okay? We're going to see Henderson come in. We're going to see him get some playing yards. Actually, I want to change that. We're going to see a little Kareem Hunt, Nick Chubb action. All right, Kareem Hunt's getting about 60% of the carries. He's getting about, he's seeing like a one to two ratio of passes compared to Kareem Hunt, right? So Akers is going to be more the rushing guy. He's going to occasionally get a pass here or there. Hopefully Akers will see some red zone carries. That's where you really want to make that money, that bread. And Henderson's going to come in and Henderson's going to take that Kareem Hole run, that Kareem Hole Hunt role. Wow, that wasn't right. He's going to take that Kareem Hunt role, and he's going to take that that electric coming in, trying to get those screenplays, getting some run, making those big home run runs that he needs to be relevant every single week. Kim Akers has fallen a little bit. I'm still buying, but he's fallen nonetheless. Drew Sample is not a rookie. I don't know why I have him on there. It's probably just me being sad that he was unable to make things work. Speaking of Joshua Kelly, he came back to earth this week. Eight carries for 43 yards, two receptions for nine yards, and one fumble. Listen, he is just, this is what we're going to see of Joshua Kelly, okay? He's not this 25-carry, 27-carry type of guy, all right? He's going to get about eight carries, eight to 12 carries. He's going to get probably two to four targets. He's looking at probably 16 touches on the game. That's good. That's what you want to see. And you just hope that Joshua Kelly can be efficient with those targets and those touches because a lot of the touches that are giving him are short yardage touches and goal line touches, which is a good thing. You want the goal line touches. So it's going to be hard to tell with his expert, with his efficiency, if he's being efficient or if he's just be put, being put in situations where efficiency is not able to thrive now joshua kelly is averaging a negative three rushing yards over expectation again back to the situation he's seeing a 0.07 expectation per rush attempt he is also seeing a 32.6 rush percent over expected now what this says next gen stats is saying here is that the lower the number the more north south the runner so Joshua Coe is a very north-south runner. That's someone you want to see. He's doing what he needs to do. He had a bad game. He's only falling, and he's only in this category because people were thinking that he was going to be a Melvin Gordon-type player, and he's he's just not this year. He may be in the future, but he's just not. He's definitely someone I still want. He's definitely someone that I'm going to try and buy if there's a little wavering in the in the owner's confidence but if he's not going to get those 20 carries and this is a good game script for him to get those 20 carries then the best we can do is hope for 16 touches and hope that his efficiency bounces back up either way he is falling a little bit but not as bad as deandre swift guys he didn't even get a carry 
not one carry, not even one. He had two targets and for one reception and 19 yards. I have no idea what's going on here. I don't know if Matt Patricia has put him in the retroactive doghouse or dropping that touchdown pass. I don't know why Adrian Peterson's getting the run. I don't think Matt Patricia cares. I think Matt Patricia is playing for his job. They just barely squeaked out a win week three. They're 0-2. I think that Matt Patricia is just doing whatever he can. He's pulling a full Jay Gruden. He's saying, fuck this Fuck long-term. I'm staying short-term. I need to get this done. And it's just coming at the detriment of DeAndre Swift. I, I don't know if this is going to change. I don't know what will happen. But Carrion Johnson is getting more carries over Swift. So if this keeps up, uh, you can hope that Swift is going to get at least more targets and more receptions in the running game to help him in the PPR. He's clearly, clearly efficient. He's clearly slippery. It's just looking like this may not be a year one type of play uh, of a play for him. Dynasty, I'm not too worried. Adrian Peterson, while he never ages, he's not going to stay around forever. KJ or Carry on Johnson is Carry on Johnson. I just truly think they're just trying to showcase him so they can sell him a little later, which would be great for Swift. All right, this one pains me a little bit. Now, Lavisca Chenault's falling. I don't like putting him in this falling category. And it's really not entirely his fault. He went five for six Thursday night for 33 yards. He had six targets. It The coaching staff just is not getting him involved at all. He saw a snap percent of below 70% with no chark out. You know, he obviously looked like the best player in the field. And for whatever reason, Doug Marone has got his ass. He's got his head in his ass. And he's just not really paying attention. So until that changes, I'm tempering expectations on Chenault a little bit. But it's clear that he has and possesses what it takes to be great. So again, he's only falling because of the expectations for this year. Dynasty, he's absolutely still doing just fine. He saw he has a catch rate on this season of 78.57%. He's only seen 14.74% of the team's air yards. That is a problem. It's consistent. Week three, he only saw 12.4% of the team air yards. However, his catch percent week three was 83.33%. He is being a productive above expectation for yards after the catch with 0.7. He's doing what he needs to do. This offense just kind of needs to figure out what it's doing because right now it's kind of like an an enigma. You don't really know what's going on. Uh, the absence of DJ Chark was felt quite a bit. Chenault is falling, but just a little bit. Again, this is really just because I was hoping that he would be able to shine, and he is just unable to because that was a shit show of a game. That being said, I'm expecting he'll be rising again, and he probably won't find himself in this category ever again. Now, I wasn't going to put him in here, but I just kind of like to toe-tap on his expected grave thus far as AJ Dillon quadzilla he wasn't involved he didn't get a snap Tyler Irvin's getting more run over him this is only week three they have three very productive running backs they don't need him so there's no expectation for him to get there it would be nice to see him push Tyler Irvin for some play but if you listen to Brian he's a absolute bum 
I'm pretty sure Brian would be willing to call him a bus prior to, to get to the NFL. That dude has some serious marriage counseling issues to get to get, to do with AJ Dillon. It's quite entertainable, entertaining though. All right. Now we're going to move on to the low profile list. It's going to speed up a little bit about what we're doing. We're going to talk about players that are to be monitored that are showing a little something that haven't showed anything before, not enough to be a riser and are just kind of good to keep a, a, eye on first up is Darrington Evans this is his first game back with the Tennessee Titans he had three carries for nine yards and that is it it is nice to see him back and healthy it is nice to see him have carries I would like to see him have more catches Jeremy Nichols took a couple catches but his expectation for the season is pretty low given that Derrick Henry is doing so well this year well Derrick Henry is Derrick Henry so you know how that's going to go Next up, Lynn Bowden was inactive for week three. This is not what you wanted to see. He had one target week two. He's inactive for week three. It's going to be interesting to see what happens week four. Lynn Bowden's absolutely a taxi squad stash. He is incredibly dynamic. He played quarterback, wide receiver, and running back for the for Kentucky. He was the leading rusher in the SEC. He has what it takes just something's not connecting, so we're going to have to be patient. Jermichael Hasty, a undrafted free agent for the 49ers. As you know, that back or that field is just decimated. Uh, Jermichael Hasty was able to get three touches for 18 yards and a catch for nine yards. He didn't really come on until garbage time. It's nice to see him get some run. It's nice to see the coaching staff kind of see what they have with him and see if they have someone that's worth keeping long term denzel mims again is able to return next week we haven't heard a lot on him we don't know if he's going to come back week four but he's eligible to come back week four a little deeper stash is levante bellamy for the denver broncos another undrafted free agent he was called up and he was on the team he got some special team snaps he's putting in the work Melvin Gordon has not always been the bill of health. Philip Lindsay's dealing with a toe injury. Royce Freeman is Royce Freeman. Melvante Bellamy could find himself into a role later this year. He's more of a more of a player that you should be keeping an eye on and someone you need to be just monitoring. Moving along, Harrison Bryant was able to convert with Njoku gone. He was able to catch a, a touchdown. He only had two targets. The other target hit his hands. This is expected. He's going to be a slow burn type player, folks. He's someone we just got to pay attention to and keep monitoring. It's Hooper. It's Bryant. It's Daniel Carlson. That's the three tight ends and replaying the most. If Harrison Bryant, the more snaps he gets, the more likely he may hit sooner, right? It's really just a waiting game and a progression game for tight ends. And Harrison Bryant may actually be benefiting from the Njoku injury. Anthony McFarlane, the rookie for the Steelers, was able to come around and actually get started this week. He had six carries for 42 yards. He had one catch, two targets, and seven yards. To me, he looked way more electric than Snell. And I think the more important part here is that Jalen Samuels only had one target. So if Anthony McFarlane can take over that Jalen Samuels role, that's something that may be nice. And it's nice to see McFarlane slowly improving and showing that he belongs in the active offense brian edwards my man crush for this year apparently now that jalen rager is done came up lipping after a pretty nice catch he really didn't see much i'm pretty sure he saw the gilmore treatment not a game i was watching unfortunately i wish i could have 
The nice thing about Brian Edwards is he's seeing 16 and a half yards per target. That's really good. That's awesome. Now, the sad part is, is that he's only had six targets on the year. I think with Waller being just an absolute hog and Carr just doesn't seem super comfortable targeting Edwards or really anyone but Waller and Jacobs. Uh, he did show a nice connection with Ruggs, though, is that Brian Edwards is going to take a little bit of time to grow that chemistry and grow that connection. He also may be battling an injury in the next few weeks, something to pay attention to. He was talk, tackled kind of awkwardly, and he was on the he was on the injury report earlier this week. Antonio Gandy Golden made an appearance this week. He had one carry for 22 yards, two targets, no catches. It was nice to see him get a manufactured touch, though. Antonio Gandy Golden is someone that I am not really interested in, but if the coaching staff's trying to get him involved, I'm paying attention. The last little tidbit for you on the on the watch list, guys, is TJ Dallas. Carson had a injury to his knee. I believe it's a knee sprain. That's all that's been divulged thus far. TJ Dallas would be the next running back up if Carson was to miss time. I don't imagine that he is productive, but he's someone to keep an eye on and maybe someone to send out a trade or two. I'm not buying too much into him yet. I was really hoping a heat overtake Homer. Still a long season, so we're going to have to pay attention to that. All right, we're going to go into sell buys. My first sell buy is Antonio Gibson, and I am saying sell or buy Antonio Gibson. He had nine carries for 49 yards. He had one catch on three targets for three yards. He did have a touchdown, which was a nice touchdown. It was nice to see him push that pile. Again, I like when my running backs can push the pile. He did have a fumble, however, trying to initiate contact, running out of bounds. The defense literally just poked the ball right out, and that ball just skirted right up the sideline until another player could pick it up. It was too bad. Uh, it was unnecessary for sure, but it's nice to see him look for contact. I love that. I think that Gibson is a great buy low in dynasty leagues. I think that this is going to be kind of his normal line for the year, right? Probably below 60 yards, maybe a touchdown or two, maybe 15 yards, two catches for his seasonal lines. Uh, I think for seasonal leagues, if you drafted him and you're not PPR, you can probably try and sell him on name value. This you touch this touchdown a game clip is not going to hold, although it is wonderful to see him get those red zone looks. I'm still holding in seasonal. In Dynasty, I am fine wherever I can. Um, it's difficult because most of the teams are really sucked into that running back, top 24 running back type of expectations. It's just not there for him right now, folks. That's just how it is next year. It's entirely likely, if not going to happen. Is this my first 2021 hot take? Antonio Gibson, top 24 running back? Maybe. We're going to let that cook a little bit. I sold Antonio Gibson a league for DJ Chark. I suggest you do the same if someone's willing to do that. Antonio Gibson is anything but a sure thing, and DJ Chark and those type of players, I very, I definitely suggest trading an unknown for a known. It did make me cry, though, just a little bit, to be honest. In terms of efficiency, Antonio Gibson's been really efficient on the season. He's been, uh, he has had an efficiency of 3.85 on the season. Per rush attempt, rushing yards over expectation, he's 0.86 percent 
So he's able to turn a little bit of nothing into something. He's not much of a north. He's not. He's less of a north south runner as he's a and a little more east west runner. He's kind of right in that right around that forty five point two percent rushing over expectation, which means he's a little bit of north south, a little bit of east west. Now I'm gonna get grilled for this, but he did his cuts and his patience behind the line remind me a little bit of Le'Veon Bell's cuts and patience. They're not the same runners, but it's nice to see him progress every single week, and it's really nice to see he's special. I believe in that. I think it's willing to find something to happen. Send out an aggressive offer. Make it happen, folks. Next up is James Robinson. 11 carries, 46 yards, two touchdowns, six targets, six catches, 83 yards. He is a goal back. He is a catching back. He had an absolute day against Miami. He is looking like a league winner this year, folks. If you have him, hold on to him. Do not trade him. If you are rebuilding in Dynasty, if you don't have a shot this year, and you are trading him for future picks, you are doing it wrong. You are only trading James Robinson unless you are getting someone established. Do not trade him for a future. I'm changing my tune. It happens. I'm Bayesian over here. I change based on information that's important. I know he's a UDFA. His most likely his most likely projection is a philip Lindsay projection right unknown year one more known year two struggles a little bit does well year three relegated to a to a uh, running back by committee that's still really really important and i think that james robinson is someone that if i'm a top com- competing team I'm going to throw out a little aggressive offer out there. I'm going to try to grab James Robinson. If I think I'm going to be a top 12 back, maybe I'm going to send, or a top 12 team, I'm going to send out a 2022 first for him. It's aggressive, but I want that production. It's only week three. A lot can happen. I'm not worried about Divine Azigbo. I'm not worried about Rykel Armstead. I just don't think it's going to happen. Uh, James Robinson's been efficient with his attempts, 0.54 over expectation. He has a rushing percentage of 32.6. He's doing good, guys. He's doing what you want to see. Don't make this harder than it needs to be. James Robinson is a hold. If I'm there and he is a buy, I'm only selling if I can get a established player. For instance, I saw somebody sell James Robinson and two firsts for Aaron Jones and a fourth. I do that every day. I would do that. Do not sell James Robinson for a random second. Sell him for an established player. Make these people pay. All right. Now, next up is Zach Moss. He's a borderline follower for me. I'm just not really impressed with what I'm seeing. I think that I would actually be buying in this situation, though. Uh, The common narrative for the Bills is that the first half is going to be a cakewalk for them. And thus far, it has. They're just doing really well. However, the second half of the season... You're going to see a lot more difficult competition, a lot more difficult defenses. Josh Allen is going to not be able to f- pick apart the defenses with his arm. He's going to have to rely on the running game, his own feet, and the others. Now, this Moss is a little nuance between him and Singletary. Is I want the catching back of this team, whether it's Moss or whether it's Singletary. If Moss cannot control those catching back duties, and I don't want anything of him this year, next year may be a little different, but this year I don't want it. 
So again, I'm only buying Moss if he can prove that he's able to be the catching back on that team. Okay, guys, C.D. Lamb, my last spy. I'm not selling him. He's just rocketing up the freaking ranks, man. He was looking great. He had five catches on six targets, 66 yards, one carry. He was involved. Uh, a player called Cedric Wilson for the Dallas Cowboys put up an incredible game. Quite frankly, my Seahawks defense just let Cedric Wilson do whatever he wanted to to them, and they just said, please, sir, some more. CeeDee Lambs had a catch, a catch percentage of 79.16 week three. He saw 15.75% of the team's air yards. He was 0.2 above the expectation on yards after the catch. For the season, he has an 83.33% catch. Or status, he has... He's 1.5 yards after the catch below or above the expectation. And he's seen 14.95% of the team's air yards. Listen, he's not going to see 30%. He probably won't see 20% this year unless they trade away Michael Gallup. But this is the year to buy CD Lamb. Do it. Be aggressive. Make it happen. Next year, it's not going to happen. Listen, CD Lamb is going to be a top five pick in the next year's startup drafts. It's going to happen. He was almost one this year. If not, he was. He's just going to solidify. Sorry, top five round, not top five in the first round. That was misleading. Top five, in the top five rounds, he's going to be drafted. Okay? Make it happen, guys. This Dallas team just loves getting ran through. And if that's the case, they are going to need C.D. Lamb. Make it happen. Acquire him at all. Well, not at all costs, but acquire him. We want this to happen. All right, I'm going to do a small little segment before we wrap it up. I'm calling it Devi Alert. I'm not sold on any of these names. If you that are more creative than me have better ideas, please shoot me a, shoot me a DM, shoot me a message. Be constructive, be loving. But if you need to be mean, I guess I'll be your bully for the day. All right, first up is Cameron Harris, the Miami running back. He is 5'10", 210 pounds. He is a sophomore. He had... In his sophomore year, he had 114 yards for 114 carries, 546 yards. He had he was running a 5.1 yard per carry clip with five touchdowns. He had 16 catches for 118 yards. That's what we like to see. In his junior year, in three games, he's had 38 carries, 311 yards. He's running at 8.2 yards per carry clip. He's already had five touchdowns, and he's had nine catches for 34 yards. I made the mistake of thinking 2021 running backs may not be very strong, but they're looking really good right now. Cameron Harris, if he's able to continue this, I think he's able to be a bit of a low-end round one that or uh, rookie pick, high-end round two, kind of round where Antonio Gibson was going the 111-202 type range. Cameron Harris, or excuse me, not uh, Antonio Gibson, Keyshawn Vaughn. Cameron Harris is someone that I'm paying attention to, and you should too. He has the build. He has the height. He looks like he's got the speed. I've seen breakaway runs where he's not been caught. This guy is a sneaky person to pay attention to. I'm liking him. There's a couple other backs that are going to be helping round out this running back class this year. Now it is possible that Harris returns for twenty twenty for the 2022, uh, or 2021 season. I don't think it'll happen. Next up is Elijah Moore, the Ole Miss wide receiver. That doesn't seem right. 
My, Elijah Moore is 5'9", 185 pounds. I don't know why, but my recent comps have all been towards Doug Baldwin. He reminds me of a Doug Baldwin. As a sophomore, he had 67 catches for 850 yards, 12 yard, 12.7 yards per reception. As a junior, he played his first game. He had 10 catches for 227 yards. The man absolutely torched people. The guy is looking really good. Oh, he does play for Ole Miss. Good. I'm not stupid. Yay. Elijah Moore is someone you want to pay attention to. Uh, he's probably not going to be a round one selection. If he keeps up that line, he may very well be. He's looking like a round two rookie pick. All right, guys, that is it. I really appreciate your time. I know this ran long. I don't think it'll run long again. This is just was this week was filled with a lot of rookie production. I hope you enjoyed the new format. Let me know what you feel or how you felt about it. Um, my Twitter handle is at the underscore Sandman two five. You can find me on Twitter or on Sleeper at Sandman twenty five. You can find me on the Fantasy Football Affair website writing articles for you guys. Let me know if you like this. Let me know how you felt. If you hate it, if you loved it, if you want me to just stop talking, go fuck yourself. I'm still going to do it anyways. Either way, I'm hoping you guys enjoy this. I'm looking to improve every single day. Have an incredible day. Do great things with your life. Smile, kiss your loved ones, and get some goddamn fresh air. Love you guys. Bye. When I start making love, I don't just make love. I be stroking. That's what I be doing. I be stroking.